Welcome to the New England Football Show presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. And as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Doing good. good. Merry Christmas, guys. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you as well, fellas. And just as a reminder to our listeners slash viewers, if you're looking into selling your current home or you are a first-time home buyer and you want to get pre-approved for a mortgage, give Herb Divine a call at 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to answer any questions you may have. All right, let's just jump right into it, fellas. First things first, we're running a, a night later this week because of the holiday and previous obligations, but um, we haven't talked since Saturday's 22-18 to 18 loss to the Patriots at home against the Cincinnati Bengals in a game that they could have stolen at the end. It, 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 they did not play well for three quarters, but they had an opportunity to steal it. Once again, Ramondre Stevenson's inability to make a key play in a key situation proves to be the difference. Patriots lose and drop to seven and eight, but remarkably, and we were talking about this before we went live, somehow they still control their own destiny. If they went out, they could still backdoor their way into the playoffs, which is remarkable when you think about how much of a roller coaster season this has been for them. Lots to talk about. Obviously, they're going to be the primary focus of the show this week. And let's just start with some quick thoughts on the game. Then I want to get your thoughts on the Mac Jones play. He got fined for it yesterday. Pretty controversial play. We're also going to talk about the Bill O'Brien rumors, and we'll look ahead to Miami. But before we do that, just some final thoughts on Cincinnati before we move on. So pulling into the stadium Sunday morning, it was dead. Um, I pulled in about 9.30, and obviously, you know, it's well, pretty it was early. dead because it was Christmas morning. You went there on well, Saturday, Stone. Christmas, yeah, Christmas <laughs> Eve, but yeah. Uh, but no, obviously, uh, freezing cold, you know, but I – even still, uh, usually the tailgates are going really early. Um, I'm usually there at 10 o'clock for a 1 o'clock game, and it's pretty full early on. It was dead. Um, so I was curious to see what the crowd was like. That was also dead. Um, that was a, a Christmas Eve gift type of game. Um, but then again, towards the end, the people that stayed in God bless them because it was, it was frigid. Um, they were into it. They were making noise. They, they still cared. And that kind of stood out to me that as bad as this has still been, this fan base, part of it at least, still cares, is still rabid, which makes the fact that they can still get in kind of that much more, I guess, mind-blowing to me, just how bad it's looked. And yet, you know, everything's still right there. Um, so the crowd was just kind of something I, I found interesting on, on Saturday. But the game itself, look, when you go there and you see that product for the first half, that's embarrassing. I think it was 70 total yards. Uh, first downs were 22 to 3, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> it was an embarrassing product. Now they showed some fight in the second half. I think Cincinnati had more to do with that than anything else. Uh, we saw Kendrick Bourne, you know, finally get his opportunity. And, oh, look, he's good. Like, shocking. Um, so there's some positive developments. But I thought that game was more about Cincinnati. Uh, and then you mentioned Stevenson. That's two straight weeks where he lost the game for them. Uh, so that's a problem when he's your best player. So overall, again, I thought it was more about Cincinnati, kind of letting them back in. Uh, but look, you're still in it. Somehow, some way, you're still in it, and you're now facing a team uh, that I know we're going to talk about that doesn't have Tua. So as bad as it was, uh, I guess it could have been worse <laughs> is, is the best way I can put it. Yeah, it, it, to me it – kind of felt like, I mean, I expected Cincinnati to win that game. I think we talked about that. And um, Cincinnati looked like the better team for three quarters. And then the Patriots came storming back. I mean, as good as Burrow has been, throwing that that just weird, weird interception, just throwing it straight to the defensive back and returning it for a pick six, started New England back in the way of getting back in the game. Um, but it's funny. I just felt like you saw those types of games when Brady was here, but like they, he would finish the comeback. You know, like the, there were games like that before where you know, I'm, there was that uh, that Saints game that one year we threw touchdown pass with time running out. 
You know, it's like you always believed the Patriots would win games like that if Brady was there, just because he was so he was a magician, you know. Um, but now that's not really the case, and it's it's just hard to win games in the NFL, even with that great comeback. They, I mean, they had a chance to win, um, but still, you know, I think the the character of this team is that you know, they will go down fighting. You know, they, they're not going to roll over. Down 22 nothing. they didn't roll over. They kept fighting. And a lot of that is those young guys. Like Marcus Jones, it seems like every week he makes a big play. And they're just trying to find ways to get him the ball on offense and, you know, just, you know, make something happen. So um, I think there, there are bits and pieces, even if they don't make say, – say they don't make the playoffs. There are bits and pieces about this season that you can pull out and say are reasons for optimism. And it's a lot of it is some of these young guys. Um, and, and so, you know, obviously Steven makes the mistake putting the ball on the ground, but he's still your best running back right now. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to bench him because he's made these mistakes. I think you keep playing him. He's the, he's your best guy. You don't get to where you, where you are without him. Just in my opinion. Um, but you know, it, it, it is depressing when you lose a game like that. The last two games have been such gut punches to this team. But but like you said, Kev, they're still alive, so why not just forget about it and move on? Yeah, you know, to, to your point about Stevenson, it's really disappointing. Obviously, he has the bonehead lateral play to end the game in Vegas. Then he turns around and he fumbles with under a minute left with them having an opportunity in the red zone. To, to perhaps score the go-ahead touchdown and, and steal the game. But I also think you make a good point, Adam. You can't bench him. He's your best offensive player. He's been your best offensive player all year. You've got to keep playing him. You don't have a choice. To me, when I go back and think about this game, it's simple. In the first half, they were an embarrassment. They were an embarrassment offensively. They didn't come into play defensively. Cincinnati scores on their first two possessions. It was 12 to nothing, but it felt like it was 28 to nothing. They I agree with you, Kevin. I think Cincinnati took off, took the foot off the gas, if you will, and that was the difference in the second half. That's a big reason why the Patriots were able to come back. I think that in many ways, they look like they've looked all year. This is what they are. They're not a very good football team. And I think it's a sad state of affairs for the NFL that this team has a chance, if somehow they went out, to backdoor their way into the playoffs. I, I, I think – I think it says a lot about the league and, and why I was against expanding the playoffs because I believe that it waters down the league. It's not good for the league. Now, I say that, and two teams that I have an interest in, the Patriots and the Packers, may may just backdoor their way into the playoffs because they expanded the playoffs. But that being said, this is a bad football team right now. They're going to catch a little bit of a break this week with Tagovailoa possibly being out for Miami. But that being said, they're not playing very well right now, guys. And I'm not sure even without Tua on Sunday, I'm not sure they could still beat Miami. I, ju I just think, to me, they're a mess in, in so many ways. We've talked about the operational failures on offense. We've beaten the hell out of the Matt Patricia story. It seems like we talk about him daily now. But I think it's beyond that. I think it's bigger than Matt Patricia. And, and, and it's funny to me because – the media around here continues to beat the dead horse about the coaching and Matt Patricia. We all universally agree Patricia has not been good. But but pump the brakes on the daily bashing of Patricia and the game planning. It's bigger than that. And if you're up there covering this team and you don't think it's bigger than that, then when you're up there, your head is clearly up your ass. Because this team has bigger problems than Matt Patricia. He might be the primary problem, but they're not very good. The offensive line... Not very good. They have struggled all year. That skill group has not been as good as we were, we thought they were going to be. They've had some injury issues. They've underachieved. Hunter Henry gets hurt in the first quarter. You don't see him again. John o. Smith, is he even on the team anymore? Like, I, I don't even know. That That's how irrelevant he is. I, I'm hoping that they somehow find a way to get him off the books this offseason because that is the worst signing in Bill Belichick's tenure. It is one of the worst free agent signings in league history, in my opinion. Never mind Patriot history. So them losing to Cincinnati, the only surprise to me was that they only lost 22 to 18. But I think we all agree that game was not as close as the score indicated. That that game was over at 22 to nothing. Cincinnati backed off, played like a young team a little bit.
didn't finish the deal. They snuck back into it. Uh, Jones has the pick six. They get the lucky bounce on the touchdown pass to Myers. But yet, in typical Patriots fashion, they can't seem to seal the deal. These are games they used to win. They can't win them anymore. Now they find themselves seven and eight. I did want to ask you guys about the Mac Jones play uh, where he undercut Eli Apple. He was fined for that. I thought it was I thought it was an unnecessary play. I understand what he was trying to do, but I can understand why people also think it was a dirty play. What did you guys think of the play? So I didn't see it live just because I was watching um, the ball mostly, but now that I've seen it, look, it's dirty, but I don't think it's, you know, the worst thing in the world. Um, I, I think it's something where when something goes wrong for Mac, he reacts kind of like a child, basically, is the only way I can put it. And I think that was one of those times. Um, I think, what was it, the play? You, you know, and I'm glad you bring that up, Stone. He reminds me a lot of you when you have to host this show. Same exact reaction. That's actually not bad. Um, no, but I, I it was against, I want to say Carolina last year, right, where he had a similar play. Um, look, I don't think he's a dirty player, but I think he overreacts to things. Um, and just real quick, Adam, before you go, I do want to mention the Bailey Zappi chance on Saturday. Oh, no, here we go. No, no, just I want – it's funny because you tweeted um, – you tweeted – I, I know, so. I know. You jumped all over, and I just threw that out there. I didn't really believe that, by the yeah, way. No, I would not have benched him. But but it, it was, it's to the point with this team where you're we're talking about backup quarterbacks to give them a spark. Like if Mac Jones is going to be the guy at some point, that can't be the case. Uh, but those chants were coming – early and often on Saturday. But just back to the play, no, I don't think it was – he's not a dirty player. It might have been a dirty play. I think he's just more of kind of um, – he can't control his emotions. It's That's kind bad. of the way I would put it. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you there. But I, I feel like, um, like quarterback is a protected position. Like they'll, they'll throw a flag on the defense or touching you. You know, so – when a guy like who who's in a protected position like quarterback is doing plays like that, which are dirty, there's no way around. I mean, imagine if he had hurt his knee seriously. I mean, it would. I mean, this would be an even bigger story. You can't do that, but especially because every you're protecting the quarterbacks every game. Like you can't can't touch the quarterback. So when that guy goes and tries to, you know, you know, submarine a guy in the knees then it's worse because, you know, guys are going to want revenge. And, you know, I think you, you got to tread carefully if you're Mac and and somehow rid yourself of this st- this stigma or whatever it is. Um, and, and as far as the Bailey Zappi stuff is concerned, I just I, – I think it's counterproductive. You don't know if Zappi's going to go in there and do better because he might not. If, so say you put him in there to, to spark the team and he throws a pick. Then what are you doing? You you you're, you're making your quarter, your starting quarterback, you know, look behind him, uh, you know, in in the rearview mirror. So I, I'd stick with Matt. I think he's the better quarterback than Zappy. I really do. Even he hasn't had a great year, but I I'm not I'm not certain that putting Zappy in would do anything that much better. And I do want to thank our good friend uh, Jay Flanley for joining the show. Jay's uh, made a bunch of comments here. Thanks again for taking the time, Jay. He says, uh, uh, Coach John is right. Seven seven too many PS teams. Um, I'm assuming you're talking playoff teams. Don't yeah. sleep on Bridgewater. Uh, adult BU quarterback. I agree. I, th- I think if Teddy Bridgewater gets to start on Sunday, uh, he could beat the Patriots, especially this team. Uh, O-line is terrible. And they don't have a blocking tight end. Nope, they don't. They haven't had one since Gronk. Uh, Coach John is right. And where the hell is born? Since he was sloppy, dropped TD, missed field goals. Um, he also says, Coach John on a roll. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Mac play was bad, and he was three of and he has three or three, four of these. Kevin is 100 percent correct. I don't know if anyone in the history of mankind has ever said that about Stone. Definitely um, not. Three for three, big K is 100 percent right. Big K, you're now big K Stone. To <laughs> be off limits till he goes. Till he goes, Grayson Allen. <laughs> that is true. Although Adam brings up a good point. And I think if I'm Jones, head on a swivel, if you throw a pick, somebody's going to be willing to take that 15-yarder and light you up. 
And and so if you throw a pick, you better un- understand where you are on the field and you better know your surroundings because you're going to end up getting one of those shoulder-to-shoulder clip shots. You're going to end up on your back, and it's not going to feel good. So you don't want to develop a reputation of being a dirty player, even though we don't think he is. Plays like that, other guys around the league are going to look at that and they're going to say, okay, the media and other people might not think he's dirty, but when you do things like that, those are dirty plays. They're going to label him dirty, and next thing you know, they're going to come after him. I, I think it was a stupid play. I understand what he was trying to do, but I think it's a really, really stupid play. You got to be careful. And this is a league where, look, as much as the focal point is on concussions, guys are more concerned about blowing out their knees. That scares them more than the, the concussions. I know people don't want to hear that, and they, and they and they think, you know, that's crazy that they're more worried about their knees than their head. But the reality is that that could end your career. So can a concussion, but your knee is more likely to end your co- your career in this league than a concussion is right now. I think a lot of guys are worried about that. So when you when you clip a guy like that, guys are really, really sensitive about that, not just the, the guy that it happened to, but other players around the league as well. As far as the Zappy talk, look, dude, I don't even want to talk about this dude anymore. I'm so sick of talking about him. I, I'm going to quote my favorite coach of all time, like the great Bill Parcells once said, if you listen to the fans, you'll end up sitting next to the fans. And that's what it's about. You can't listen to the fans if you're Bill Belichick. You definitely can't listen to the media. You just have to do what you think is best. Mac Jones is the better quarterback, in my opinion. They have a better chance to win with him than they do with Bailey Zappi. I don't think Zappi would give them a spark. This is in hockey, okay? In hockey, you could pull the goalie, go to the other guy. Maybe he keeps you in the game. The quarterback is way harder to play than goalie in hockey. So let's just stop with the nonsense that if you make the change, somehow it's going to spark you. For every time that that happens, there's five or six other times when it doesn't happen. So I think we need to put the Bailey Zappi nonsense to rest. The fans have one more opportunity to tongue-bathe Zappi on Sunday and chant stupid nonsense. Stone can sit here and make make faces and pretend like he thinks Zappi's a better fit than Mac because he's just going along with the sports radio crowd. He doesn't actually have his own opinion on the matter. The bottom line is... The bottom line is, I'm with Kirchin. Table the Zappy talk. Zappy's a career backup. He's never going to mount to anything. I don't want to hear about Zappy anymore. Stop talking about crappy Zappy. It's over. So just to defend myself, I'm uh, no, I'm not a Mac guy, but I don't think Zappy is your answer. However, the other day, then why the hell do you think they should play him if he's not your answer? The only no, reason they should play him is because he's better and he's not. I didn't. I'm asking. First of all, you tweeted out saying they should go with him in the second half. Four I hate stars. you. I hate that you jumped on that. Oh, I knew you were. I, was, I couldn't be happier. Um, no, but uh, but my question to you guys, were you surprised that they didn't? Because I, I, I am. I thought for sure he was going to play. No? No. No, I'm not. I think, I think in many ways, Belichick learned something from the way he handled this situation earlier in the year. I don't think he's going down that road again for this season. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It, you know, I, I think um, you want somebody who's experienced in those positions, and Max got a little bit more experience than Zappy. I think, you know, I just think he knows that if he puts Zappy in and it backfires, you're you're sort of in no man's land, you know. And the way it is right now, I just think uh, Mac needs to get all the reps he can get. And continue to get better. I don't think I don't think Zappy's your future. Although a lot of people were calling for him to be put in the game, so maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. So just for the record, I am not a Zappy guy. You're not a Zappy guy. You've been saying that he should play over Mac all year. Uh, technically That's speaking, right. that makes you a Zappy guy. Fair. I didn't, I didn't say all year. The the Bears week and the week after, I said yes. Okay. But, so the majority of the year, you have believed that Zappy should play over Mac. Have you not? Majority, I wouldn't say majority, but... Oh, will you stop? What are you, John <laughs> Kerry? Get off the fence. You've been saying it for most of the season that you think Zappy should play. Me and Kirchin have clearly been pro-Jones. You have been pro-Zappy. Yes. You have. <laughs> listen, yeah. these things are online, dude. We can go back and listen to these and rehash it if you want. So, I'll put it this way. I don't think Mac's the guy going forward. That's fine. So, that... 
Do I think Zappy? You've been yes, calling fair. for Zappy. This year, yes. Fine. Fair. So, so you're just going with the masses. You're like the guy during the French Revolution that didn't want to lose his head, so you just agreed with everything so that you could live. That's what you are. You're, you're that guy. You're just going with the zappy talk because you want to be on the right side of history because he well, won a couple of games as a starter, so therefore he's the long-term answer. He's the next I, I do think the way that Jones has played, that everything's open to interpretation. Thank oh, you. Absolutely. So like, the best the best argument that Jones has was his rookie season. He doesn't really have a whole lot to stand on for this year to promote him being definitely the starter. So that's why I say with this with the people who support Zappy, I'm fine because look, I don't want Zappy in there. I think he's kind of limited, but I do think Jones is too in his own ways. So you know. It's it's I think it is up for interpretation. I don't really I just the only thing I don't like is when the crowd starts chanting for Zappy during a game that Max playing like that's you're killing Max confidence when you're doing like that. Not that I have a lot of sympathy. He hasn't been playing great, but it's just I don't like that in the middle of a game chanting for the backup. I I think it's you know I but. They've done it, and it's and it's happened this year. It's it's um it's, it's unfortunate in, in my eyes. Well, that was the problem Saturday. They started way too early. It started after the first three and out. Now, granted, it was an ugly three and out, but um, I, I'm with you there, Adam. It's look at some point. But is that even? But let me ask you this though, Kevin. Is yeah. that even a story though? I mean, honestly, if we're gonna no, talk no. about them chanting for Zappy, do you want to talk about every time they booed when they went three and out or stalled? I mean, no, no. we can't – who cares what the fans okay. think? I'm just, no, just being it. honest here. If, if you're Bill Belichick, who cares what the fans think? And I know that people are going to say, but they're paying their hard-earned money and they're supporting the team. I, yeah, I know, but Belichick doesn't care. He doesn't care. And you know what? He shouldn't care. It's not – he's there to win football games. Just because Joe in Section 138 in Row 20, Seat 18 – thinks that he should play Bailey Zappi doesn't mean that Belichick's going to go, well, Joe paid 180 bucks for this ticket. I better put Bailey Zappi in there. No, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, and, and, no, I don't think it's a story. I think earlier in the year it was because I do think he might have been on the table at some point, at least in Bill's mind. Um, but for me, it's – the thing that annoys me is that people completely dismiss that Zappi could eventually be better than Mac. Well, we've only seen him for two games. Like, I don't think we actually know what Zappy is yet. That's all I'm saying. Yes, um, we do. I know exactly what he is. He's going to be a career backup. I've watched him for the last two oh, years boy. at Houston Baptist and Western Kentucky. I think he has limitations to his, to his game. I've said that all along. I think he I think he throws a plus ball outside the hashes. I think anything inside the hashes, middle of the field is fair game. It's up for grabs half the time. I think you have to cut the field in half for him. I think he limits your offense because of his limitations. Mac doesn't have those physical limitations. Now, Mac, in my opinion, also isn't a top 10 caliber yes. quarterback, and he does okay. have some physical limitations, and it is going to be about the talent you put around him. But with Zappy, it goes beyond the talent you're going to put around him. I think Zappy is best case scenario. He's Chase Daniel, and I know people are going to point to Brock Purdy in San Francisco and say, "Well, look at the 49ers; they're winning with Brock Purdy." Okay, but San Francisco runs the ball a hell of a lot better than the Patriots do. More, they run it more consistently. I think when healthy, they have a better skill group than the Patriots, and they have a much better offensive line. And yes, Kyle Shanahan is calling plays there, not Matt Patricia. That's why it's worked with Brock Purdy. So, real quick, I, I don't think Zappy's ever going to be the guy. No, I get it. Um, and real quick on Patricia too, he lost his voice. He, he was trying to talk um, during media zooms today. Really couldn't. So, whatever Patriots fans or well, most Patriots fans that don't want him calling plays might get their their wish this this Sunday if he can't you know speak into a headset. Um, well, so that's he's, he's not Kevin Stone. His voice will heal much faster than yours does. Fair. But just something to consider on Sunday. Yeah, no, he's going to call plays. I mean, I, I would imagine he'll be fine. But, I look, I'm just saying I, the, the, the zappy chance, that's just fans being fans. They they're, they have every right to do it. They paid to get in there. They, they, they paid their hard-earned money. They have every right to say whatever the hell they want. All I'm saying is 
it, that shouldn't be taken into account when it comes to the decision-making process. Now, over the weekend on Saturday, uh, Ian Rappaport reported that the Patriots and Bill O'Brien might be primed for a reunion. Supposedly, O'Brien is considering a return to New England. There's interest there. We don't know if it's mutual. But the bottom line is that if O'Brien does return to the NFL, it appears that there's some interest there for him to possibly come back to New England. So two-part question here for you, gentlemen. One, what are your thoughts on that? And two, do you think O'Brien solves all their problems? I don't think he solves all their problems, but I think he he helps give them a functional offense. And, you know, you see all these videos online of Patriots receivers running into each other when they should be setting a pick or – just stuff the spacing being bad. The guys have done a great job highlighting that. And I was, I think O'Brien's a good play caller. I, th- I thought he was good when he was with the Patriots. I thought he was, you know, he, he, he ran good offenses in Houston. You know, I think he's a good play caller. And so, but what he saw of their problems? No. I mean, what are we going to do about the offensive line? I mean, you know, I, I don't think, I think that that's, it's it's almost like every time they try to replace Dante Scarnecchia, they can't do it, you know, and and like he keeps coming back and all this stuff. So, um, I think the offensively, I don't care what plays you drop, if you can't block anybody, you're in trouble. Um, so you know, I think it would help. I mean, would it make a difference in a couple wins a year? Sure, but it doesn't solve everything. It doesn't make them Super Bowl contenders right away. It's 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 one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I'm with Adam. But for me, I think if you are going to stick with Mack and, and make him the guy, I'd almost go to him and ask his opinion on a few guys. Now, I don't think Belichick would ever do that. But at this point, I think you've rattled him so much this year that you need him to be as comfortable as possible going forward. Um, so I do think Bill O'Brien would help that a ton. I mean, we've all heard, you know, he, he taught Bill O'Brien the offensive Bama when they were kind of, um, intersecting there. So um, I think it would help with the comfortability, but I also think you need a, a different quarterbacks coach too. Um, I think Mac needs his own kind of system. Um, and again, I just go back to, he's been so, I guess, I don't know the right term, but mentally scarred, I guess this year, he needs to be as comfortable as possible. And I think Bill O'Brien would go a long way in doing that. Well, I I've gotten to meet Bill several times and, and, you know, I, I know him through people. And, and first of all, I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for OB. I think he's he's a great dude. I love his intensity. I love his passion. I've talked football with him. I've seen him clinic. Um, I, th- I, think he's, I think he's awesome. Um, I think that O'Brien checks off a lot of boxes. He's, he's been a successful coordinator. He's been a successful head coach. I think the, the, his biggest mistake in Houston was when he was given personnel power. I think as a coach, he did a great job. They were a perennial playoff team. He did a tremendous job turning around the Penn State program in the wake of everything that happened after the, the Sandusky scandal there. Um, when he was here and he was the primary play caller for a couple of years in 2011, the year they lost to the Giants in Super Bowl 46, they led the league in points. They were top five in total yards. He did a really good job. Of course, you also had Tom Brady in his prime. You had Gronk, who was in his second year. You had Edelman. They had had a much better skill group than they do now. But that being said, I think if he comes in and he becomes the offensive coordinator after this season, I think he would be an upgrade. I think he would be a big-time upgrade over Matt Patricia. Um, I can live with Matt Patricia coaching the offensive line under a scenario like that. Now, you mentioned – quarterbacks coach, you can leave Judge there or you can move Judge back to special teams. I think Cam Acord's seat is really warm right now. I'm not sure he's back next year. I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't know this. I haven't spoken to anyone. I'm just spitballing here. But if he's not back, I wouldn't be surprised if Judge goes back and runs the special teams. And I thought he did a really good job coaching the special teams a few years ago. Um Now, I think Adam brings up a great point, and I talked about this in a piece that I wrote on Saturday about O'Brien. He doesn't solve all your problems. Your offensive line is still an issue. It needs to be addressed. I think they need to take an offensive lineman again in the first round, perhaps somebody like Roderick Jones out of Georgia. Uh, If they're picking in the middle of the first round, 
I think they need to address the offensive line. They've got a lot of question marks at receiver. What do you do with Jacoby Myers? Do you pay him? Aguilar is obviously gone. Bourne is up. What are you going to do with Devontae Parker? Do you bring him back? What do you do with the tight ends? Do you bring John Smith back? So Bill O'Brien would definitely settle things down as the offensive coordinator. He would be a much better play caller. I think we all agree with that. But there's still a lot of things that need to be figured out if he's going to be successful in a reunion. Because if you don't figure some of these issues out, these personnel issues in particular, he's not going to succeed. They're they're not going to be that much better on offense. And and as far as, and, and Adam, you mentioned this, as far as, you know, all the clips that are out there of guys running into each other, that's not, and, and I'm not saying this to you, I'm just saying in general, I that's the Game Pass generation in media now. Game Pass is the worst thing to happen to members of the media in, in, in the history of football because now everybody's a coach. Everybody can tweet out stupid shit and they can pretend that they watched the film and that they coached and all this other nonsense. The plays aren't designed for these guys to run into each other, okay? That that happens during the course of, of a play if they get rerouted, if they're route adjusting and they don't, they're not on the same page. The communication's an issue. They're obviously not doing a good job of teaching route adjustments post-snap, and guys aren't aren't playing with spatial awareness. But this idea that this all falls on Patricia, I'm getting kind of tired of it. You can't go on Twitter anymore without after a game, without somebody from the media tweeting out a clip and breaking it down and dice it. Just stop. Just stop. We, we all agree that Matt Patricia has not done a good job this year. But I think we've beaten that horse so much that it's now in the center of the earth. In, enough with, we get it, okay? And with all due respect to people that cover the team, and I have a ton of respect for him, the only thing I will say is we're not there every day. We're not at practice. We're not in meetings. We're not in game plan meetings. We're not in any of that stuff. So let's let's simmer down with the criticism. You can criticize the team. That's what you get paid to do to cover the team. But don't en- enough with the, the the coaching nonsense. You, you, if I handed you, if Patricia handed you his play sheet, you you wouldn't know what the hell to do with it. So let's just relax. I, I have to get that off my chest because you can't go on Twitter anymore after a game because it's. Two days after a game, everybody's doing a an, an effing film review, and it's a bunch of nonsense where they're talking out of their ass, and they don't know what they're talking about. You know, you're criticizing the guy for calling a weak side outside zone on second and four. Well, what the F do you want him to call? That should work on second and four. You're an 11 personnel. That's not a bad call. You know why it didn't work? Because three-fifths of your offensive line got their ass kicked. That's why it didn't work. But we're so quick to just blame everything on Patricia that now everybody in the media around here is a coach. Newsflash, you're not a coach. Stop pretending you're one. I have to get that off my chest. No, just to that point, why is the red zone so bad then? Is that coaching or execution? Or both? I think it's both. I think it's both. I think think some of it is, is flawed play design and situational play calling, but I also think it's a lack of execution. Look, you guys know this. I've said this. At the beginning of the year, I probably gave Patricia more of a chance than anybody else in this market. But I've realized as the season has gone on, watching them week in and week out, he hasn't done a good job. And while I think he's a good coach and a smart coach, I don't think that he was put in a situation where he could succeed. I really don't. I think Belichick had too much faith in him. And in the end, him and Judge were put in an unfair situation and they can't succeed. And I'll say this about play calling on offense. I did it for a long time. Not in the NFL, but I've coached college, I've coached high school. Play calling is play calling. It doesn't matter what level it is. At the end of the day, it's the hardest job in football being an offensive coordinator. It really is. Because the, the, you, 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 unless you're scoring 50, you know, 40, 50 points a game and, and you're winning, you, you're a loser. Even if you're even if you're winning and, and scoring 25 to 30 points a game, if you don't look good doing it, if you're not flashy, if you're not making big plays, you're a loser. You can't win with people in that role. It's a it's a thankless role in many ways. So, you know, again, and, and let me just say this: people are entitled to their opinions. I'm not saying that people don't have the right to break games down and share their thoughts. Of course they do. I everybody's entitled to their opinion, but it just when we start saying things like, well, it's second and four. How could they run weak side zone? What are they thinking? Okay, well, what the hell would you have called there? It's not a bad call. 
They got their asses kicked. Go back and watch the play. Three-fifths of your offensive line was going backwards at the snap. Guess what? You could have called the pass. It wouldn't have been successful either. So players play the game, man. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, that's when you talk about red zone. It's like, well, when you had one of the best red zone targets of all time, Rod Bogankowski, you're going to have better red zone efficiency. <laughs> you know, like you – yeah, players matter in that part of the field. Yeah, and I, I feel like people a lot of times won't say, oh, the personnel's not good enough when that really is kind of the case. Well, and th- look, there's an old adage in football in that in that area of the field, right, as an offensive play caller. Think players, not plays. We, I, I mean, I if I had a nickel for every time when I was an offensive coordinator that one of our assistants would remind me on the headset, Coach S, think players, not plays, I could retire. Okay, and and it's true. In that situation, you have to have good players to finish drives. And and it's not to say that if you don't have elite level talent, you can't. But remember now, the field shrinks. Your passing game is limited. You can only do so much. And unless you're big, physical, strong with a good back who who can break tackles and make people miss in space, it's hard to score, man. It's really hard to score. And, and unless you have Patrick Mahomes, who's a magician, where you can drop all these, these plays where he can make these special little plays, you know, you can run shuffle passes and all these other things. Unless you have a special talent like that, oftentimes it's hard to finish down there. That's why half the time teams end up throwing slants and fades and sluggos and outcuts, you know, trying to get the ball in space. And hoping that their guy makes a defender miss. It's it's not easy. But and again, like I said, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I, I don't want people to think that I'm I'm being a blowhard and sitting here saying, Well, I've coached, so therefore I know more than you. That's not the point. The point is I don't think weak side outside zone is a bad call on second and four. And then of course, you guys know this. The other problem is we live in this world now where pro football focus and all these other stupid sites have ruined the game now. Because they, they sit there, they hire a bunch of people for ship money. They sit there, they watch film, and they grade players and, and coaches, and they come up with all these stupid statistics. And it's like, well, the Patriots' uh, uh, zone running game efficiency is this percent. Okay, I don't care. At the end of the day, I don't think it's a bad call to run weak side zone on second and four. It, it isn't going to work if your offensive line's not getting off the ball. So – doesn't matter what they would have called in that situation. It would have blown up in their face when your two guards and your right tackle are fucking going backwards five yards. Sorry, I swore, but <laughs> the coach and me came out. So <laughs> it's okay. We're not on terrestrial radio. I can swear. All right. Any final thoughts on that before we move on here to the uh, last couple of segments? It. We covered it. <laughs> All right. Just as a reminder, if you're looking into selling your current home or you're a first-time home buyer and want to get pre-approved for a mortgage, give Herb Divine at Mortgage Right a call at 781-254-2846. Go to, you can also go to situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available to help you anytime, including nights and weekends. Herb is a pro's pro, one of the best in the business. If you're ready to enter the market, you got to give him a call or shoot him an email. He will set you up with the right program, and he will help you get into the right home. All right, gentlemen, of course, last Wednesday, a week ago tomorrow, was early signing day, and and Boston College and UMass were busy. Uh, Oh, 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 hold on. We got a comment here from Jay. Uh, You're talking about the Pats O-line. You're allowed to swear, Coach S. Thanks, Jay. You get it, man. You speak my language. It's just when you get fired up as a coach, you can't keep those F-bombs in. They come out. Um, but as I was saying, of course, last Wednesday was early, the early signing day period. Kevin, you were up at Boston College. The Eagles announced the signing of 17 new Eagles. They've also been pretty busy in the portal. They have added a handful of guys in the portal, including this past weekend, where, where I think they added two big, impactful players in, in – um, in Washington and Tootin that are going to come in and help them defensively and offensively respectively. But just some thoughts on, on BC signing day. What did coach Halfley have to say? Was he happy with what they were able to bring in? And then I want to get your guys thoughts on the transfer portal. They've been pretty busy. We know Halfley of course has been very 
open about his desire to build the program organically with high school kids. He's always said he doesn't want to live in the portal. It seems like they've rented an apartment in the portal this offseason. They've been living in it pretty frequently so far. Yeah, no, I'll start there. Um, I asked him directly, and it, he quickly corrected me. I said, you know, look, you've always said you don't want to live in the portal. And he said, no, I didn't say that. He said, I didn't want to build it from the portal, uh, which is very different. Uh, they have had no problem dipping in this year. And I think that's more about last year, to be honest. Um, I think he felt the heat a little bit. Uh, I think they'd realized they need – and obviously they're college kids, so we don't know if they're going to be quick fixes. Um, but I do think they're trying to go that route to try and make sure last year doesn't happen. Um, so a few few other things that stood out. One is his love for Catholic Memorial, and in particular Coach DiBiasso. Coach uh, spoke glowingly about him. Um, and they have developed a very good relationship, which is going to be important because I think it was, what, five kids that they took from CM? Um, he, he loves loves the New England kids right now um, and, and spoke spoke highly or or about the importance of, of wrapping a fence around, you know, Massachusetts and New England, which every coach is going to talk about, but he's doing it. You know, he's making sure that they get some elite talent from this state and around the area. So... I thought that was important. Uh, and I also asked him about Djokovic, you know, because we haven't seen him um, since that all came down. And, and their relationship is still good. Um, and he also, he was joking. I don't know how, how much he was joking. He said he told Phil, I'm going to blitz the hell out of you. You know, you're going to see more cover zero um, or more zero blitz than you've ever seen before. So uh, that'll be an interesting little side note down the line. But in terms of recruiting, uh, look, people and um, I've seen message boards and stuff like that. People are almost annoyed that he's talking so much about New England. But look, there's elite talent here now. I, I think people are just behind on how good Massachusetts and New England have become. So if he can keep doing that and keep dipping into the local pool and getting, you know, impact players like a Joe Griffin who immediately, you know, made this team better or could make this team better, well, then he's going to keep doing it, and I don't blame him for it. So, yeah, he's going to keep going around the country and stuff like that. But if he can, quote-unquote, corner the market around here and, and, and get elite players, well, why not? You know, so um, I, I think he was happy with the signings, um, and they're not done by any means either. You're going to see more portal news too. I think um, that's that's – I agree with a lot of that, Kev. I think that um, when it comes to the portal, for instance – I think it's just the way of college football now. I don't think you're going to see anybody lay off at 100%. If you if you sign 25 guys and you know three of them are five stars and you know 10 of them are four stars, then you probably still even go in there for a couple of the guys. It's just the, it's people just have to get used to it. I know some people don't like it. It's just the way it is. So, um, and when it comes to half, I do believe Halfley really wants to dominate this area of recruiting, but he. You know, it, it's tough. It's tough for a Boston College coach to get the guys who, once they become big deals enough, like blue chip guys, once those guys become blue chip, a lot of times they just leave. This year alone, let's let's see. Samson Okunola to Miami. Janelle Aguero, Georgia. Andrew Rappelier to uh, Penn State. Bubakar Traore, who BC had once committed, he went to Notre Dame. Ronan Hannafin to Clemson. Preston Zinter to Notre Dame. So and those are all guys that BC wanted. Couldn't keep any of them home. It's just tough when you're BC competing with these big programs. But 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 that's how you have to imagine. Imagine if Halfley signed all those guys as well. I mean, wow, that would be something. So nobody really hits a hundred percent. Even the big time schools a lot of times miss out on the, the local talent. Uh, it's hard to really dominate it. Especially when these others like Penn State, there's a hundred, there's a hundred thousand people at the game. They're all dressed in white. They're going crazy. That's not what you get at BC. <laughs> you know, it's it's just different. He's got more hurdles to overcome. But I like the fact that he's making a true effort and and getting in good with Dibiazzo is a good idea because he's going to have talented players. Yeah, and, and I think when you look at this recruiting class, I mean that they're they're recruiting at a national level now. They're far beyond what we're used to with Boston College. And with BC, they've always been an East Coast program. And then they then they would go into Ohio. They'd go into Cleveland. 
They had they had some inroads there, but they were predominantly in New England, New Jersey, New York, uh, DMV, a little bit into Virginia. That's about it. Then you go into Florida, you get a Zay Flowers a few years ago if you're Steve Adazio. They've had a pipeline to the Midwest. They've been able to get linemen and quarterbacks out of out of the Cleveland area in Ohio. But now you look at this year's recruiting class. You have Hawaii. You have Texas. You have Montana. It is a – you've had California the last couple of years. It is a more national program now from a recruiting standpoint. And I think that's smart because – to your point, Adam, you're not going to keep a lot of those dudes here. Massachusetts now, you know, you're not going to have what you have this year. I wrote a piece about this last week. I think that this 2023 class is the greatest class in state history. I, I really believe that. From a talent standpoint, I don't think we've ever had a more talented class of, of football players that are going to graduate and go on and play big-time college football. It's not – I mean, it's been good the last few years – but it's not every year here that you're talking Clemson to go to Notre Dame. You're talking Virginia Tech. You're talking big-time programs here. So in many ways, I think this 2023 class might be the, the most decorated class that we've ever seen in state history from a recruiting standpoint. Um, but as far as the portal is concerned, look, and, and I know he said to you that he didn't say that, but he did say that. He did say it a couple of years ago. We, we all know he Yes, he made it very clear that he didn't want to live in the portal, but they've done a really nice job. I mean, this past weekend alone, they bring in uh, Basil Tootin out of North Carolina, AT&T. He put up huge numbers in the Big South this year. I love Alex Washington out of Harvard. I think that is a tremendous pickup for them at corner. Two-time All-Ivy Leaguer. He's 6'2", 200 pounds. He's long. He's athletic. He's got terrific ball skills. He is the perfect fit. In that scheme, he's going to come in, and I think he starts with them right away, especially because C.J. Burton is at the portal. Uh, Jason Matry's gone. He's going to Liberty. They're a little thin at corner. I think he can come in and play for them right away. He's certainly an experienced guy. They bring in Kyle Hergel from Texas State, who had unbelievable numbers. He only gave up, I think, like a sack and a half last year. Ryan O'Keefe, nice receiver out of Central Florida. I like uh, Victor Nelson, the safety, and I also like – Another corner that they brought in, Kari Johnson, and, of course, they brought in George Works from Michigan as well. So, <clears throat> excuse me, they've been really active in the portal, and they're going to have to be. You're coming off a 3-9 and nine season. I understand the desire to build through the high school ranks, but as Adam said, the portal is a way of life now. They're going to be going into the portal every year. It's not going to be one of those things. I mean, I've talked to coaches around here that shall remain nameless that are not fans of the portal, but yet – they turn around and they're dipping into it every year and they're, and they're clearly benefiting from it. And so I think to me, you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth here. This is a fact of life in football. Now portals, not going anywhere. I think eventually it'll be better regulated, but I do think that it is a way of life and you're going to have to dip into it. If you want to win, it's just the way it's going to be. Now, of course, Kevin, you were also um, on the zoom with coach Brown at UMass. They had a, a, a solid recruiting class that they brought in. Jeff Moore and, and the staff, they're doing a good job adding talent to the roster there. I think, to me, the, the biggest piece is, is getting Tyler Martin back from Arizona. He's coming home. He entered the portal at the beginning of the month. He committed to UMass last week. That is a huge get for the Minutemen. You're getting a guy with three years of eligibility that could step in and be a three-year starter and make a huge impact for this program. Yeah, John Brown was happy with this class, and it's funny. It was only six kids, and right away he said, look, you know, I know I know it looks like a small class, but we're not done by any means, and if there's any coach that's dipping into the portal, it's him. You know, we, we all know they need to rebuild and rebuild a lot more than a lot of other teams do, so they're going to be maybe even more active than, than any other school around here. Um, but I think for them, you mentioned Tyler Martin coming back. We talk about, you know, keeping keeping a lot of talented kids around. And I think for Brown, this first true year of recruiting since he's been back is going to be huge. He's he's not taking any days off this winter. Um, I know there's a dead period, but um, aside from that, they are going to be full board in the portal. And um, I think you're going to see a lot more names coming out of there from uh, or to UMass. And look, he talked about, Try to maintain that 
you know, that day-to-day process. I think that's the most important thing for UMass this winter and, and in, into the offseason is making sure that they're not looking too far ahead. Because, yes, it was still ugly last year, but as we talked about several times, there were some big strides taken at certain points. So it's not like they're starting, you know, from completely um, at the, you know, the ground level where they were last year. So I do think there's going to be some progress. And, um, again, I think the portal is – it is massive for them because they need to bring in a lot more than, than what they have now. But he was happy with the class. And, um, again, I think it's more of a wait and see for what we get out of those kids, maybe more than the kids that BC brought in. Um, but he seems – he seems happy with where he's at, and um, he's all in on on his process. And uh, he, more importantly, too, before I forget, he's still all in on Steve Kasula, and I think that's important. Um, he's not going to kind of jump ship on him just yet, and um, I think that's big because, again, it was year one. Like, people need to remember, it's a process. So after year one, yeah, it was, like I said, it was ugly, but um, they're going to be better, and they're going to keep getting better this winter, too. And I know that he's kind of rambled there, but that's all right. That's all right. All right. I agree with all of that. That's good stuff, Kev. I think um, I I looked at their class. The kid Haston uh, is it Ahmad Haston? Am you I just Haston? yeah. The problem you just yeah. took the words right out of my mouth. He could be their Zion Turner this year. Well, yeah, well, the thing is, is he, he? I watched a little bit of his film. He looks like he's a good fit for their offense because he's a guy that can run and take off when there's a chance. But he's also got a strong enough arm to make plays down the field. And he was one of the best players in South Florida. And that's everybody's good down there. And so for him, for him to be one of the best is, is, a, is a really good get. Uh, I'm excited to see him play. Getting Tyler Martin was, uh, was really cool for them. Um, you know, I really – I saw Tyler Martin play a lot in high school. Um, you know, I remember when he was offered as an eighth grader from Michigan. Um, it's good to see him back home, and I think he'll be an impact guy right away because one of their problems last year was um, was speed at the linebacker positions and, and getting guys once get allowing guys to turn the corner. So I think he cleans up a lot inside the box. And John, real quick, just before you go, one other thing I found really interesting. I asked him, you know, does he compare older players that he's used, and in particular Josh Uche and Jabril Peppers? You know, will he compare recruits to older players? And he said, absolutely. You know, if I'm comparing you to an NFL player, that means you're a good player. Um, so I just find it kind of interesting, you know, where he sets his bar in terms of, you know, when he's scouting as well. And, of course, you were also in on uh, Jim Morris' press conference. UConn had a banner day as well. They also had a huge pickup in the portal yesterday. But, Kevin, just some thoughts real quick on uh, Coach Moore. I know that he's really excited about the class they're bringing in. Of course, his class features Wachusa Regionals' uh, Tucker McDonald as uh, the one quarterback that is in this 2023 class for UConn. Yeah, it's funny. He was the most laid-back and kind of calm and composed guy out of all of them um, that morning. And it's because he was pretty much all done by 9 a.m. You know, all his kids committed and stayed committed, and I think that's huge because it speaks to the progress they made as a program. You know, he said they really only had to kind of, um, I guess for lack of a better term, track down one guy. You know, the the other kids that they had signed were all fully committed throughout the season, and um, they were ready to go on signing day. So I think that's important, again, just because it, it shows the progress that they made and, and how much those kids trust what Moore is trying to do there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you're exactly right. This is all this this year was was evidence to present to future recruits and be like, look where we're going, look at where we were, and look where we are, and look where we're going. And he can and recruits can believe what he's selling because they won. You know, they've won six games, they got to a bowl. He's saying, All right, well, you take us to nine wins. You know, so I think it's great. I think Hansen, Lewis Hansen going as a tight end. That's a huge yeah. pickup for them. I mean, this is a guy that was at Michigan, you know? I mean, well, you go back and see who was recruiting him Ohio State, Michigan. Yeah, he had offers yeah. from those two. I mean, Florida, he's, BC. Like, yeah, he's a legit 6'6, about 240, 250. He can be a tight end or he can be a, a, a just a big wide receiver. I mean, he's that athletic. He's got great hands. 
He makes unbelievable catches. His highlight reel from high school is outstanding. So it's great. And, you know, it's, you know, and now, hey, you know, there's going to be prospects out of St. Sebastian's where he, where Hanson's from. And now he's got one of those kids. So um, just, just a tremendous pickup for them. He's going to do a great job there. And UConn offered him. Randy Edsel offered him two years ago, of course. He committed to Michigan during the start of COVID. Uh, and it surprised to me that it surprised me, I should say, that in two years at Michigan, he only played nine snaps. In fact, he played seven snaps this year. They were in the UConn game. So it, it's just one of those things where it's like, how do you, if you're Jim Harbaugh and that staff, how do you let this kid hit the portal? How is he not a bigger part of what you're doing earlier? I just, it blew me away that he got into the portal and, Kudos to Mora and offensive coordinator Nick Charlton for getting a commitment from him. I think he's a huge get for UConn. I mean, I think he could be a big part of that offense the next three years. And when you look at the way that UConn operates offensively, you need a tight end that that could really work the middle of the field. But to your point, Adam, you can also split him out and, and generate some one-on-one matchups with him. I think he's. I think Charlton's going to have a great time designing stuff in the passing game that where he can incorporate him. I, I think it's huge. And, of course, one other um, note, and you will have another signing day in February. A couple of other um, schools I want to talk about real quick. URI, has a, they locked down a really good class. Um, you, you know, I think when you when you look at, once again, they get the best player in Rhode Island um, in, in Patrick Converse, and then they turn around in the portal and they land Kevin Pine, who was at BC. That's huge for them after losing A.J. Cornelius, who, of course, committed to Oregon last week. Getting Pine is huge now. They were able to address the offensive line. They addressed the offensive line. They addressed running back. They addressed the secondary. I thought Jim Fleming and his staff had a terrific signing day. They had 13 total commitments. Maine did a great job. Jordan Stevens and his staff brought in 16 new players. They dipped into the portal as well. But I thought they did a really nice job fortifying areas that they needed to fortify, running back, offensive line, secondary. And I'm sure when we get to the second signing day in February, I'm sure Holy Cross, UNH, uh, Merrimack, Stonehill, Sacred Heart, those programs are all going to be busy in February um, wrapping up their recruiting classes. But it was a busy week last week around here nonetheless. All right, gentlemen, uh, any final thoughts here before we wrap this one up? Yeah, just um, one one kid that w- that went to Holy Cross. His name is J.C. Clairvaux. You, you know about him, obviously. The he he went to Everett. It was a running back, and then this past year is at Williston Northampton. And you know because Williston Northampton is so out of the way, people don't really keep up. But he had a great PG season. He is at, what a pickup for Holy Cross because I heard through the grapevine that like a lot of uh, FBS schools were kind of getting interested in Clairvaux and Holy Cross was able to hang on to him. He's six foot, 215, 220, a bruising back, but also runs with speed. And he's just a great player. I think he can come in and play right away. Just a tremendous get by Holy Cross and Bob Chesney. It sounds like he's a, basically an immediate replacement for Peter Oliver, pretty much. Um, so yeah, no, I'm with you there, Adam. And I think people might somehow end up sleeping on them because they're losing so many people. Look, they still have Matt Sluka coming back, so um, they're gonna be right back in it again. Just for me, look, people. I had five people ask me this weekend. You know, what are you guys gonna do now that the season's over? We always talk about it. We're not going anywhere. Um, we have plenty of stuff during the off season, and uh, we'll be at Gillette this week with more coverage. And um, again, as usual, just stay with us because again, we're not going anywhere. No, we we're all football all the time. That's that's our mantra, and that's what we are. I mean, we got plenty of content coming up this off season, from recruiting to the draft to camps to combines. You name it, we'll be there. Of course, we'll be doing our spring football rounds like we do every year. Uh, we'll be out at UMass. We'll be at UConn again. Look, we are we want to be your number one source for football content, and. Um, we work at it every day. It's a grind for us. We love it, but trust me, we got plenty to talk about. And Adam, just kind of to just to piggyback off of what you just said about Clairvaux, uh, Xavier Bascon, who was a really good back at Swamp Scott, he was on their Super Bowl team two years ago. He PG'd at Phillips Andover. He committed to Harvard. 
I think that's a terrific, terrific get for Harvard. Of course, Harvard has also had a mass exodus in the portal, a lot of grad transfers. And just remember, in the Ivy League, you have to play your four years, and then you can be a grad transfer. Uh, Aiden Borgay, he's looking to transfer out. Of course, Alex Washington going to BC. Uh, Shane Copes, defensive end from Dartmouth, committed to Colorado last week. So um, you're going to see a lot of these Ivy League kids in this area that are going to enter the portal as grad transfers, and they're going to get that opportunity to go play Power 5 or FBS football for at least a year. Some will have two years of eligibility. So um, expect to see more kids out of the Ivy League in the area entering the portal in the coming days and weeks. All right, well, that'll do it. For this show, it is our final show for 2022. I want to thank you guys, as always, for watching and listening. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkchen, I'm John Serenitas. Until next year, peace. See ya.